0: Hi everybody, Jed Ayers here, and welcome to another episode of The Attic. As you may know, it was an attic in Bremen, Germany. This attic, in fact, where iGel got its first start 20 years ago. A whole host of famous tech companies started in humble places like attics and garages. Of course, with Facebook, it was a dorm room, HP and Amazon started in a garage, and visiting us today in The Attic is a very special guest, no stranger to many of you in the end user computing space, the legendary blogger, Brian Madden. Brian Madden is the lead technologist in VMware's EUC office of the CTO. And prior to joining VMware, he was a very well-known independent EUC expert, a blogger, a founder of BrianMadden.com, and of course, the Forum conference series. Brian's been the source of a massive amount of conversation and debate about VDI and Desktop as a Service. He's the author of six books and over 2,000 technical articles. So, hey, Brian, thank you so much for joining us here in the Attic. I know you and I have a, a long history together. I think we met each other back in the early 2000s. Of course, I was a uh, religious attender of your BryForum con- conferences and always read you know, BrianMadden.com every week. But uh, yeah, and then I guess you know we reconnected when you were uh you had sort of dropped out of end user compute and I tracked you down in Florida. I think you were fishing off your porch and happily uh unemployed and uh, I, I I pulled you back into our disrupt conference in Austin and we can talk more about that and obviously your uh your great journey into VMware. But since this is the attic, we want to talk about Brian Madden and kind of your origin story. I'd love to start with just kind of where you grew up and how you got into tech and yeah, you know, what you were like as a kid so we can start all the way back at the beginning
1: awesome yeah well jed you know thank you so much for the invitation um to your audience thank you all for for watching uh, it's it's fun to not talk about vdi and you know end user computing uh for, for an hour or so um exactly. so uh, i grew up in akron ohio go buckeyes oh i'm actually a huge browns fan you know my i mean i was a typical kid you know i'm 43 uh, born late 70s i was into you know, taking things apart. I was that kid that I wasn't a computer nerd as a kid because we didn't have a computer. Uh, my first computer was a Texas Instruments ti 994 a for anyone who remembers that. That computer was from 1983, although I didn't get it until about sixth grade or so. Um, but my mom raised us. My, my, my dad was a concrete foreman, so there wasn't a lot of um, like computer education for my parents on this kind of thing. But they very much encouraged all of us. I've got three siblings to um, you'll be creative and explore, and I was that kid with the screwdriver who always took everything apart. So you're the
0: oldest or the youngest, or which one are you? Where are you on the I'm spectrum? the oldest. The um, oldest. Okay. There
1: is, uh, my youngest brother actually works at VMware, you know, Jack Madden. Yes. He's written a few books and some co-workers with him now, and there's a brother and a sister in between. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was—you know—I was you know, I was, I was a kid taking things apart, and kind of one step led to another, and I got this old, um, you know, uh, XT computer and uh, you know, 4.77 megahertz 8088, and like learned um, you know GW Basic and programming and that sort of stuff, and I just sort of liked computers, and then one thing kind of led to another. By the time high school uh, rolled around, I had a job scooping ice cream at a Baskin Robbins, <laughs> and. I was making like $3 an hour or whatever it was back then. But I was sort of really into computers. And I made these brochures, these little tri-fold brochures that sat on the counter at Baskin-Robbins saying like, hey, do you need computer help? Don't go to a big box retailer. You need some independent college kid, I was really in high school, um, (laughs) to come to your house and fix your computer. And in these days, this was hooking up printers. You were were Geek
0: Squad before Geek Squad.
1: I was. And what's funny, I should see if I can dig up these brochures, because it was very persuasive. I mean, I was like, do not go to a big box retailer, they just want to sell you what they want to sell you to make money. I will tell you what you need, not what a vendor wants you to buy, which is funny, because there's so much of that, um, you know, like Brian com moxie, that was even in the early 90s, when I was an ice cream. And that led, you know, I, I really got a a fair amount of business from that. While I was in high school, I was charging $15 an hour. In those days, that was more money than God, as far as I was concerned, at that point. I would imagine that was
0: probably three times what you were making per hour at Baskin Robbins, right?
1: I think it was like five times. Yeah. Uh, And it was cash too. Um, So I I actually stopped going to high school, like I started doing more and more, you know, getting sick a little bit and then like sneaking out of the house to go do computer consulting. And it was I mean, I was drilling holes in in concrete walls, running uh, coax cable for Lantastic. I was doing like Novell Netware stuff. Um, It's all sorts of things. And frankly, one thing led to another led to another. That was in like 94, 95. I mean, gosh, it's now 2021. I had pretty much, that's it. Now we're here. You're caught up.
0: It feels like, uh, you know, you are always someone that's very inquisitive. You're almost like self-taught. I mean, I don't, I I think that's part of your bio almost, right? Is that you're... uh, Someone that figures things out.
1: Yeah, and you know, I didn't. I didn't go to college, uh, so I didn't take that traditional education route. But Mm -hmm. we we all follow those who came in front of us, right? We all stand on the shoulders of the generations before us. And so, in the 1980s it was all books in the library and buying books on computer graphics. And there was, you know, um, pages and pages and pages of basic programs. And I'm like copying them in, typing them line by line by line by line to like draw a ray trace wine glass or something you know on the mm-hmm. computer like just a wire form whatever um and just reading a lot of books and then it led to um you know as as, as i started working in the late 90s uh the knowledge was disseminated by cd-rom like the TechNet cds remember those right. from microsoft and msdn and everything and so as i sort of um, just learned more and more about uh, it and my profession sort of i recognized that i had that gift of, you know, the education for all those who came before me who wrote and shared what they knew. And I wanted to do the same thing. And that's what led me to writing my first book, which was like 20 years ago. To this day, I started writing that first book. It's it's it literally was February of 2001. Really? Um, it's so what was, the, what ago. was this book, Brian? Uh, it was called Citrix Metaframe XP, Advanced Technical Design Guide, including Feature Release One. That's a real Rolls title. Rolls off the tongue. Rolls off the tongue. The way I very first sort of my first exposure to the EUC community, of course we call it thin client computing back then. It was uh, Jim Kenzig. He ran that list serve called the Thin List. Okay. I think the website was like thethin.net. It was one of those Yahoo groups, right? right. So it was like a four thousand person party line email. You write one email to this list, and everyone gets it. Right. And that's where I mean, like Ron Oglesby, who's one right. of my coworkers now at VMware. A lot of us kind of old school folks. Uh, I mean, a lot of folks from IGEL now currently, like Doug Brown, all these folks, like this is what, where we coalesced mm-hmm. uh, back in the 90s. And that was the community. And so when I started writing this book, I mean, I, I I sent chapters out to people on that listserv. I asked if there's anyone who wanted to review it and have ideas and feedback and all that kind of thing. And I realized I, I did some quick math and I realized I, I only needed to sell 700 copies of this book to break even. Mm-hmm. And it was on Amazon. Uh, that's all you need, right? I wanted to write the book that that picked up where the manual left off right so i was assuming that everyone who picked up my book they read the manual you know how to use citrix they can click 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 and install and get some connections and that kind of stuff but how do you design it what's the philosophy behind all the decisions you have to make i was doing consulting in those days so i had done a lot of citrix projects. Um, I had a lot of experience just walking people through. Well, you can set up printing this way or this way, profiles here, security, performance tunings, so all of that kind of stuff. It was very, um, you know, teaching the, person, the reader how to fish, right? Rather than giving right. them the fish. Right. Um, there wasn't screenshots. It wasn't a how to guide. It was just a how to think about deploying Citrix in your world. And, you know, that book was very successful. That book became uh, before the website, frankly. Uh, it wasn't until I'd done that book, I did a, an update to that book. Um, terminal server Microsoft has had built um, terminal server into Windows 2003 at that point point. Um, and so Ron Oglesby and I then wrote a terminal server version of that book so not Citrix just pure terminal services a couple of years later and uh, I was working for Compaq and, and then HP at that time and I kind of had the idea I was making money on books and I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly but like the Citrix sort of book writing stuff was more fun to me than my day job consulting for a giant company so I left. HP with the idea that I was gonna finish that Terminal Server book I was writing with Ron and then just get a job somewhere else, and then fifteen years went by.
0: (laughs) So you were at uh, Compaq when it merged with HP, and then I was, I was, yeah. As a
1: matter of fact, the the day they announced that merger was the day I was interviewing at Compaq. So this is like 2001, right? So this is before. Right. Uh, before I, before mobile internet, right? Before Blackberries, before all these kinds of things, I remember I'm sitting in the lobby of of Compaq, about to meet the person who's interviewing me. And Gabe Knuth, my best friend, another guy who's now at, at uh, VMware right. with me, um, Gabe calls me and he's like, "Dude, you're going to work at HP." And I'm like, "Nah, man, my interview today is at Compaq." He's like, "No, HP is buying Compaq." And for those of you who are in the industry this time, that's insane. That's like Ford buying GM. Right? Like there was there was um, you know IBM. Dell, HP, and Compaq. At least in the U.S., those are the four big server vendors, hardware makers. The idea that one by the other is ludicrous. Right. So I definitely knew that Gabe was pulling my leg.
0: Especially when but you're I, sitting in the lobby of their. Uh,
1: <laughs> and I can't. I don't. Know, you can't look on your phone to check it. Right. Like, how do you? And like, my interview's coming up, and I'm like, um, I didn't. I, I didn't quite know how to play it. What I ended up doing is going to the guard at the front desk, kind of you know nonchalantly, That's sort what? of. Um, so how about that uh hv News today and he's like oh can you believe it wow what is this about And i'm like okay so this is legit and then the elevator door bings open and the the guy who would be my boss jeff named, uh got him jeff goldstein awesome awesome guy um he walks to the elevator is like well i don't even know if we need to do this interview <laughs> and i'm like that's what you want out of the first words of here. so you still have the <laughs> it interview. wasn't because but then that yeah, job, wasn't you never got was so...
0: this job, and that was how you ended up going somewhere else?
1: Yeah, no, so I did end up getting that job because oh, I think okay. he just said it like, I don't know what our future is, whatever. But so I went to Compaq through HP, all that sort of stuff. And around that time, you know, I still so I had these books. I, had a, uh, I, was, I was getting more and more well-known because the books were pretty popular. And I was invited to, you know, other conferences to speak and going to iForums and speaking at iForum and different Citrix user groups and things like that. And... Um, you know so one thing led to another and 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 i decided i I wanted to leave hp and do something that's more focused on on citrix and this you know this world that we live in now uh and you know so i i I left uh the idea when i left was i was going to launch a blog which by the way blogs this is 2003 now like there was no blog software if you wanted a blog you wrote the blog engine yourself and i had the brianmadden.com website i had that domain I knew I wanted it to be on BrianMadden.com because I wanted to brand myself, which very much the right decision. Not my decision. We walk on the shoulders of those in front of us. We stand on the shoulders in front of us. Um, Tom Peters had a, the brand you uh, uh, phenomena of the kind of mid to late 90s, and it was like Michael Hammer and Tom Peters and all these the days in McKinsey and you know um, Bain, and all these like really cool consulting sort of strategy shops, and they're like you are a brand. Even if you're Bob in accounting, you're the brand, that like kind of thing. Right. So you, and I of like, went
0: out and bought your brianmadden.com and you read this book.
1: I... Exactly. Well, when I read that right back in the 90s, so oh, I had right. registered the domain. It didn't do anything. Right. And so I wrote my own blog engine for that and kind of started the blog. Um, I was really like, I'm going to have a blog about thin client computing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, and one thing led to another, led to another. And I never ended up getting a job anywhere. So, uh, what so point I did, did you
0: realize that this could be its own company, BrianMadden.com? Um,
1: it was. It's like a lot of things. So it was making money, and I was making money selling the books and stuff too. And I just like didn't get around to getting a job. How did you um, end Gabe, up
0: uh, doing BriForum, or the, you know, what? What uh, was this catalyst for the events?
1: The, the events. So, you know, of course, BriForum in the day in those days, Citrix had their main conference called iForum. Right. And uh, it was always in Orlando in the early, early days. It Swan was the Dolphin, the Dolph- dolphin Swan. Mm-hmm. Right. And remember those moments, man, like hang out in those bars and that sort of like there's that pathway in between the two hotels and there's right. the bars there and just meeting all these people who you only know online and you only know through, through the internet and stuff. And it was just such a great vibe. Uh, but as iForum grew and grew, it was very much a Citrix vendor conference. And so it was, which is fine, they're a vendor. I mean, v, VMworld is a vendor conference too. I've, I've got no problem with that. Right. But it, I thought there was more of a, um, there was opportunity for an independent conference. Because so I thought if, because in those days Citrix, they were reviewing your slides. I did something about printing and I had a slide, a joke slide about like printing being challenging in Citrix. And they made me take that out of my presentation. Right. I'm like, folks, you know the print, come on, really? It was very much like, it was kind of like marketing fluff. I mean, it mm-hmm. was a good conference, but it was all Citrix worldview. No, no other pr- perspectives were allowed. They they filtered everything, and I was like, and but the conference was getting bigger and bigger, and I'm like, there's an opportunity here, for like an independent, um, I forum. And I remember I was actually at iForum, at one of Dolphin and Swan. I told you about that thin list, that that email distribution list. Mm-hmm. All of us who were participating on the thin list, we would plan and go to like shulas one night, and and. It'd be like 40 people in that room and uh, we all got together very informally we hoped that some vendor was in the room with us so they could pay for the you know our 40 stick dinners um and i remember just you know in that thing just kind of talking and i'm like man i think i'm gonna do it i call it one of my jan brady moments because like yeah yeah i'm gonna do it yeah i'm making a conference it's brian's eye forum huzzah and, um, and I, I think, I actually give Ron Oglesby the credit for this, and I don't know if history can correct me, but I think it was Ron Oglesby who said, dude, for him," <laughs> right. And the whole room kind of laughs. And um, and then later on, I'm like, well, okay, I, I want to do this conference. I don't know how to do it, like, you know, figure it out. But I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know how to write a blog. Yeah, I can figure it out. And um, so, but I was looking at other names, like SBC World, Think Client Computing Conference, these kinds of things. and. And everyone's like, dude, you have to call it Brideform. And I'm like, I, we cannot call it Brideform. That's ridiculous. And they're like, seriously, you have to call it Brideform. And in hindsight, thank goodness I did, because Brideform is a generic brand that doesn't have a technology in its name. Right. So if I would have called it like SBC world, well, two years later, we would have called it
0: right. thing client world, then client world, then utility out.
1: computing world, then mobile management. You know, the, 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 everything changes. But Briform could be... Could be right for Yeah, that's great. Um, and we even
0: had that problem with Disrupt, right? Because the original Disrupt we did was uh, was really around end user computing, and then we we're like, well, we really want this to be a conversation about cloud, so we changed the you know the tagline to a, a cloud forum, club workspaces forum. So yeah, you tie yourself to technology, you're uh, subject to Moore's law, right?
1: Yeah, and the good news is like disrupt is a great name because that that apl- you can change the tagline each year, uh, and I probably did have a different tagline for Brightform every year. But the name, you know, the domain, uh, the brand was consistent. Uh, we did Brightform twenty times, twenty times oh, yeah, over about great. sixteen years. My yeah, question thanks.
0: for you would be sort of obviously along the way, you get a lot of advice about how to do things or why to do things. I'm sure there's some advice that you ignored. A- anything that sticks out for you in terms of yeah. You know, when sometimes when people either tell you you can't do something or to, to to do something and you take the opposite i'd love uh any stories you have like that because i imagine brian madden uh as the contrarian has a few stories
1: yeah i mean you know i didn't know what i didn't know no one told me i couldn't do anything love my parents um i, mean, I grew up in a very fortunate place you know i was born in the u.s in the late 70s in a middle class house middle class neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had a lot I I didn't have a lot to worry about as a kid, my parents were great, they encouraged, you know, they they never, they encouraged us to be whatever we wanted to be and and pursue what we wanted to pursue. And, and, um, you know, so so at no point did anyone tell me, you can't make a conference, you can't quit a book, you can't even when I dropped out of college. uh, My mom, uh, if you talk to her now, she's kind of like reminiscing. She's like, you know, I figured you would be fine, whatever right. the you know, everything, the websites, the, the 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 conference, the books, at no point did I ever feel like I couldn't do it, it, it you know, we figured it out as I go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the advice that I give to people, and this is kind of like you, this is nothing new, you're hearing for the first time, like Steve jobs, and every uh, last people talk about this, I, I did no market research on anything I did ever, I only created the products that I wanted to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. So I the articles on Brian that I wrote, I wrote the articles I thought would be interesting, like that I would want to read as someone who is in this industry. When I wrote my first book, I wrote the book that I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I created Bri forum, I created the conference that I wanted to, that I wanted to exist. And at no point was I worried about, well, is the market going to like this It's just like, I thought, I'm probably if like I'm an IT geek and I am into it for these reasons, I'm sure at least some other people are. And what's cool is, you know, I wasn't trying to conquer the world. All right. As, as I get older now, I realize, I, I do not have a competitive bone in my body. I'm not cut out to be um, a business person. I don't wanna take down our competition. I don't hate anyone. Um, like just that's all. So, so like Forum was like 400 people uh, and maybe 500, 400 to 500 people. It was always a smaller conference. It never was over 500 people uh, for any bribe forum. Right. Which was part of the charm
0: of it, right? It was you actually had a conversation. It was yeah. Uh, and like I
1: couldn't imagine. I mean, a 20,000 person conference. I would I would die of anxiety, heart attacks before that happened. It's right. it's, it's like the parable of the of the poor fisherman. Um, uh, which Google it. We won't go into it now. But it, like I had this conference. It was everything I wanted. It was 500 people. It's like, oh, you should grow this even more to a thousand. I'm like, why? It's like, well, because then you can, you know, make more money. I'm like, why? I have enough money to live on. Like I pay my bills. What do I need more money for? That just sounds like more trouble. Like, well, but then you can make it, uh, like, why? Uh, so I think that was the thing for me, even on the growth, on everything I did, I did what I wanted to do for me. And, um, and I did it as long as it's fun. So you, you eventually stopped...
0: sold uh, BrianMadden.com to TechTarget, right? Um, that, I did, that was, yeah. What, 15 years in?
1: Uh, 2008. Tech Target came knocking um, and we weren't for sale. I mean, the business was a lifestyle business, right? It was me, I my best friend Gabe, my brother Jack, uh, my friend Emily, uh, my friend Nicole. Like, it was five of us <laughs> friends in this company and it was like life was pretty good. And Tech Target said, um, You know, we're interested in like buying you. Do you want to talk? about this. And I'm like, well, I at least knew that to say yes. And they invited us to Boston in their boardroom and everything. I remember I brought Gabe with me also. It's like, uh, just back me up in case, in case, uh, you know, they say anything. I need to remember what they say later. And the CEO of TechTarget puts his feet up on the desk, leans back and says, we want to take that grunt work off your plate so that you two guys can focus on what you do best. And it took every ounce of strength that gabe had to hold me back from being like sold <laughs> right there <laughs> I S- think, yeah, for the he latte, wanted you to be go back to writing
0: and doing what you love right so i'm sure at that yeah. point you had gotten to the size where you were you were dealing with yeah a lot
1: and, of- and it was great because tech target took over the uh, mechanical um production of Brian forum they took over the operations of BrianMedden.com. you know so i no longer would be like my pager would not go off in the middle of the night if the website went down like it would when it was my company. I didn't have to worry about average days outstanding of accounts receivables. And if we can make payroll this month and all of the things that those who own businesses have to worry about. And so that was 2008. They bought us. I guess the sort
0: of uh, that that when they bought you, it got blurry because it uh, never the name didn't change and you just kept doing what you the were The site doing. didn't change
1: the logos didn't change like it um and, and they were very good like because i was asking like are we still going to be able to be independent write our own story and tech target is i mean they're a very like legit media company and they had that kind of church and state advertising and editorial separation and they were like oh yeah like we are buying you because you built all this like we are not going to break that like why we should just let our money on fire if that was the case right and um you know i've and they have my back. Like there was a couple of times when when vendors who are customers of TechTarget advertisers were very upset at articles that I wrote. Right. And uh, there's a couple of times when when uh, the upper management at TechTarget had to go be yelled at by customers. And, um, but they have my back, they're they, like, no, well, yeah. Brian's, you know, like I remember, actually VMware was one of them. I, I remember my boss was going into a meeting to get yelled at by VMware, because uh, of some article I'd written. And he just calls me, he's like, hey Brian, uh, is that the article you wrote about VMware? Like. That's legit, right? Like you weren't like drunk or stoned or anything when you wrote that. Like you stand behind that. I'm like, oh yeah. He goes, okay, cool, thanks. That was that was it. end of conversation. Um, and it was it was great.
0: So Brian, I know that in uh, 2016 you stepped away from Tech and you spent more than a year traveling around the U.S. living in a van with a flip floam. Tell us what this reset was like and uh, what you learned about yourself and about Tech.
1: Well, as you know, when small companies are bought by large companies. The large companies look for economies of scale like rack them and stack them and stamp them out right so um, you know they, they put me on the road speaking all over the world and i was doing 50 or 60 speeches a year uh, which is great but you know 50 or 60 speeches around the year year one year two year three year four and it's like oh another citric synergy another vm world another microsoft whatever i was writing the same article year after year after i right like here's what's new live blog coverage check out our podcast it, it got to be sort of the same thing over and over again And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had that, that fork in the road because of the way my, my contract was, it was going to like re up for multiple years. And I'm like, I don't know what's next, but I know I don't want to just do this for another five years. So we're in middle 16 at this point, Um, I was living in San Francisco, I've been there about a decade at that point, I sold my house in San Francisco um, and Uh, The girl I was at the time. We 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 did a camper van. We drove around a little bit. We spent some time in Florida. ended up in New York, kind of all over the place. Um, And uh, that's the time, of course, when I kind of reconnected with you. uh, I think I found um, you in
0: Florida. It took some it took some legwork actually, because I I I remember seeing I had last seen you in San Francisco, and then I knew you had uh, bought a a apartment in Manhattan, but then somebody told me you're in Florida, and you don't have an email, you didn't have a smartphone, I think you had a burner phone. That's correct, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I found you, and, and yeah, you were you were happily uh, fishing off your porch and living in a little yeah. town in, uh, in Yeah, Florida. that place in
1: Florida could drop the line right off the back deck, yeah. uh, right in the water. And, and uh, I had the
0: audacity to ask you to come back and give a speech. And I told you, I think if you remember, I said, I don't care what it's about, I, d- I just want you to, to show up. Do you remember this? Uh,
1: I absolutely remember that. Um, and interestingly, this is why I work at VMware now. Right. Uh, because of that speech. So, so, um, so this is like end of 2017. I think IGL Disrupt was like that year. It was like February of 2018. Right. And um, and you had talked to. It said talk about whatever you want. And I said, well, I've been working on this pinball stuff and kind of doing some like IoT pinball type things. And and you're like, oh, we're getting into IoT. Um, why don't you? This is we called IoT, not like edge computing or whatever it is now. Right. Um, and you said, well, want want to give a talk about IoT? And I was like. I think IoT is kind of BS, and this whole like, like IT professionals don't need to care about IoT, at least not in the way that everyone thinks it is. And you're like, that's perfect. That's your speech.
0: Yeah, which I remember. I think you basically said why I think IoT is is stupid or something like this. Yeah, and I did it. Very entertaining. It's still on YouTube.
1: If you if you search for Brian Madden disrupts IoT or. or, You'll you'll find it. It's it's right. IoT for IT or something like that. The IT professionals guide to IoT or whatever. It's it's actually a decent talk. I mean, it's still relevant today. Yeah. Um, but I did that at so at that time I was kind of getting bored of not working, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I so like you know I, I agree with you to to go to um, Disrupt. I think it was in Austin that year. In um, uh, in this is. It February was AMD's headquarters. Yeah, and uh, and. And walking down the hall, as I'm there, I see Sean Bass, um, who is, the, I mean, he's a platform speaker, he's a friend of mine for like 20 years, he is the engineers user computing CTO at VMware. And I'm like, and I remember at this point, I'm not working for like two years. So I'm kind of like off the radar. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, what's going on? We probably hugged because that's what you did in, right. like, before, before 2020. <laughs> and, you know, um, and I remember the, the two of us went to dinner. To kind of catch up, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go work at AWS, and here's, you know, all this kind of stuff, and he, he was very supportive. But then the next day, uh, he texted me, he's like, great to catch up. I just gotta put it out there. Um, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't try to get you into VMware. But at this point, I had wanted to, move, to like work at a cool company, right? Like I, I was getting ready to go to Amazon or Google or something like that. And then, and then I'm like, oh, VMware, God. I guess I don't know so but he's like look just just check out what we're doing you'd be impressed I talked to Gabe and Jack who were still at brianmadden.com at that time they loved VMware's UC strategy everyone I talked to at VMware was so excited about their strategy VMware was starting to make some real traction against Citrix some real traction against Microsoft they were doing the whole workspace one platform thing you know they're managing physical Windows 10 machines so kind of taking on SCCM from a competitive standpoint all that intelligence they just bought um uh, intelligent and and all all this sort of machine learning, intelligence stuff. I mean, it, it was cool and and I they they charmed me. I mean, I went to Atlanta, I went uh, I went to Palo Alto and just got tours of what they were working on and all this kind of stuff, and I was blown away.
0: So it's been three years like, now. You've been there.
1: Yeah, it'll be three years next month. Wow. wow. So because because this is um, but it really all roads lead back to Igel drops. So <laughs> to you watching, good things happen when you go to IGEL Disrupt.
0: One of the biggest compliments people give us about Disrupt actually is that it feels a lot like Briform. And in fact, it's next week, actually, we do it, we're doing it digitally. And of course, it's, it's this uh, commentary where I'm channeling a little bit of my Brian Madden, which is, you know, this isn't an IGEL commercial. It's really meant to bring, you know, the, the community together to have a conversation. Yes, we host it. We normally pay for the steak dinners and uh, you know, try to try to uh, facilitate a, a logical agenda, but we try not to make it a overt Igel, you know, commercial. So it it's really is about this uh, community, and I think you probably know Doug Brown, who obviously has a strangely parallel life to to yours in terms of Midwest boy who became a writer and a, a, you know um, ended up a, a, as part of this community, you know, and through his blog and his books. Um, he's now curating the IGEL community, right? Which is an astounding thing, right? It's not the uh, the, the Yahoo user group of 2,000, but it's Slack and it's uh, over 5,000 people, you know, having hundreds of uh, conversations every single day. Um, it's it's yeah. Amazing. I was on
1: Doug's podcast uh, late last year, and he, as far as I can tell, I mean, he is you know he's like 50 now. But I think he still doesn't sleep. He just works. Um, he's he's on. He's he he's doing it. He's he's in his element.
0: Yeah, he um, is. Uh, he I think always wanted to be in Germany. He uh, he he fell in love with a beautiful German girl, got married, and uh, yeah, he the iGel job and the iGel community, which I really do believe is sort of like carrying on this special you know social network of, of the dark arts of uh, end user compute and the conversation. And I know we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about you know, where you've been so opinionated about VDI and desktop as a service and you know this space for so long. You know, I'd be interested now that you spent three years at uh, at VMware and after COVID with a billion people working at home, kind of how do you see this technology today?
1: You know, so VDI. Taking a step back, of course, I, I I wrote a book along with Gabe and Jack called The VDI Delusion. Right. And this is this is nine years ago. And in that book, you know, the the core premise, this this book was not called Brian Hates VDI. <laughs> it was called The VDI Delusion, and um, the subtitle is something along the lines of like. You know, basically like. This VDI technology was great, but it is not the be all end all. Like VDI is not the future and the only direction for technology. The future of end-user computing is not VDI. It includes VDI. Mm-hmm. Um, but but my argument was that VDI is just a delivery form factor, right? right? So some of your applications and workloads are Windows, some are Mac, some are web, some are mobile, some are, you know, all these different sort of form factors of applications. For the Windows applications and Windows desktops, there are lots of different ways that you can deliver those. You can Put them on a laptop, you can stream it, you can have it running in a data center and remote the pixels like a VDI. So VDI is part of your complete end user computing environment. Uh, And of course, there should be VDI specialists, there should be VDI conferences, there should be it's like the car, right? I talk about like VDI is like an alternator. Um, People, there are nerds who nerd out on alternators and I'm sure there's alternator design conferences and they go to and they talk about the future of alternators and everything. But no one is saying this is the year of the alternator. Right? It's like, right. no, it's a Honda Civic. And so VDI is a core critical piece of infrastructure and a core component of uh, you know a modern day EUC platform. Mm-hmm. But VDI is just, sort of just one piece of that. And that's the reason I am at VMware right now, because VMware is not a one trick pony when it comes to end user computing. Right. As I said, we're looking at delivering VDI, uh, but also managing physical devices, physical Windows, physical Mac, uh, iOS, Android, web apps, all the security, the zero trust, the intelligence, automation, um, you know, secure tunnel, SASE—it's—it's uh, it's all fitting together, and you can't like pick and choose. Oh, like we only want to support this one or this one or whatever. I mean, from a cust- customer standpoint, you know, users now, to your point, they work where they work, when they work, on whatever device they have, and we in IT need to make sure that we can deliver—you uh, know—the apps, the data, the services they need that are secure, reliable, performant, et cetera. And so, to me, um, that was the s- the message from VMware. Uh, it was more nascent, of course, when I joined them three years ago. But um, you know, we've been building that and 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 improving. You know, it's agile software. Workspace One. There's there's updates to it every every month, mm-hmm. um, and it's just you know iterates and iterates and iterates. And um, you know, we saw in the w- when the pandemic happened and everyone left the offices very quickly. Uh, you know, that that was our day to shine. Yep. That was that was it was EUC's turn um to be like in the glory position within it because end user computing for so long was like oh you're like the desktop people like oh you hook up the phone yeah my grandma does that what, what do you do like why do we need you right um, and all of a sudden we were cool
0: yeah i think you're exactly right it, like suddenly overnight became a, a, the highest priority so what does and your what, job look what? like today brian like i know you were hired to kind of help evangelize the uh workspace one platform you were flying all over the world like, what what are you doing today? Now that uh, you uh, you're, I assume landlocked and uh, like all of us, yeah. working from home.
1: Yeah, you know, um, you're looking at it. I I I sit here in my chair and talk into the camera. That's <laughs> my job. You're caught up, right? Um, it's, you know, so yeah. When I, when I first joined VMware, so I work in the CTO office, and so I'm able. You know, I, I talk to a lot of customers. I listen to a lot of customers. I talk to partners. Um, I'm doing a lot of speeches and a lot of presentations and a lot of like webcasts and podcasts and this kind of stuff. Um, I'm, but product managers will reach out like, hey, we're thinking about this. What do you think? You know, I go in the meetings to talk about roadmaps and future and vision and strategy. I, I look at our stories a little bit, like from the product marketing. How do we tell the story? What's the, what's the story arc? What's the flow? How do we get people excited? Um, you know, like long term, bigger bets, um, you know, M&A type stuff. It's really a very interesting position. I mean, honestly, that um, uh,
0: the, sounds like a culmination of a lot of the skills that you've acquired. I, I mean, you consider this a dream position for yourself?
1: Uh, two best things about my job is I do not have quota um, and I do not have any direct reports, yeah. so I am an individual contributor. It's just me doing my thing. I told Sean from before we even hired, I said, by the way, I want to be an, an IC and that's it. I do not want to be CTO someday. I do not want to be manager. I do not want to be GM. I don't want to be SAP. I don't want to be VP. I don't like that's all And you haven't like, had
0: to uh, buy a suit. And you uh, well, your hair is not red right now, but you uh, you still like you yeah, maintain it's, some personality.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're uh You know, I still use my own templates for my slides and you know all that kind of stuff. So I, I think, again, at the end of the day, um, you know, by the time even when I joined VMware, I had been doing this for like 23, 24 years. I had done everything I did, I think, I think they recognize they're like, just, you just go do your thing. And, you know, let us let us know what you need. It's also kind of fun to be part of a big, a big machine, like end user computing is just one of the business units at VMware. So we have all of our other colleagues, you know, doing like the network virtualization and the multi cloud and all the intrinsic security and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of cool to to get a little like peel back the curtain a little bit into some of these other areas too.
0: It feels like at least from the outside, it looks like a uh, a very positive place to work. Certainly I've visited your campus a lot of times and I know you. Pro- no one's going there at this point, probably are very few people, but uh, beautiful campus. It feels like a a company that does ha- care about its employees, cares about its community. I would assume that you feel Yeah, that. I
1: agree with that. And it's, you know, this is again one of those things that it's so easy to chalk it up to um, just like platitudes, that like we have our epic values, you know, <laughs> about, um, they all stand for something, I don't even know what it is. like. It's,
0: it's like epic squared, right? I think it's
1: something. Yeah, because yeah. there's two C's in there. And yeah. but whatever. But like, that's. It. But they really do live it. Mm-hmm. They really do live it. And um, you know, it's a very sort of open door, polis. Uh, um, you know, like people you, you can approach. You can be honest. You can, um, you know, as I said, it grew up as an engineering mindset company. I think it very much is still like engineering mindset. Um, and uh, the, the the DNA of that company is is you know, the, the, the culture of like doing like build cool stuff and, and do what you need to do and figure it out. And um, I don't know, it, it, it seems like a, a cool place.
0: You're a very visionary guy, and you make pretty bold predictions. You you have sort of a set of predictions coming out of COVID. I, my mom's been calling me and telling me I, I got to go get my vaccination and you know, uh, the world is going to be back to normal by Christmas. But uh, I mean, from your from your chair, what, what do you think? the world looks like uh, as we come out of this.
1: You mentioned culture. You, you talked about VMware being cool, but you mentioned our campus. Well, um, true, the campus is very cool. We have turtles, uh, <laughs> but but like I work at home now. I don't need a Zoom, like putting a turtle on the Zoom meeting doesn't fix the culture, right? Like how do right. you, how do you because we sort of realize all those things at office are amenities, but how do you repli- replicate the actual culture down into the, um, you know your users, sort of where we are, and that's a very hard thing. And I think we're sort of figuring it out as the industry altogether. Um, the the more important thing, forget COVID. I, I'm definitely a believer that what a lot of people have said, where COVID accelerated sort of like the whole world by like 10 years in terms of look at the numbers of people who buy things online and who. I mean, I'm using Instacart now. I've never used that before. I Probably would have at some point in the next ten years. Um, you know doing more meetings on Zoom and, and these kinds of things. we were getting there slowly, 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 but we got the big jump. We got ten years of you know zoom curve increase in uh, a week and a half. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the big change, you know certainly there are people with based on what their personal preferences are and their um, housing situations, there are people who will want to go to the office every day as soon as they can. There are people who will want to work from home and never go to an office. And then there's people who are going to be in a hybrid, um, which I think I fall into. I would mostly rather work from home, but I'd love it if I could go to the office like one day a week and kind of hang with my team and you know other humans and have some camaraderie and, and that sort of thing, because um, I, I, I do miss that. And what and do you Zoom think the, calls,
0: uh, the future of events are, right? Given that you and I, I think when we actually would see each other, would normally be at an event somewhere in the world. Do you think? Yeah, be two a things. So first events? of all,
1: events will come back. Because yeah. I and again, and I use myself as an example, I do not ever want to get on a plane again to like visit a customer or like if we're, you and I are going to interview like this, we don't need to be in the same room for this. I mean, this, this is fine. Right. Um, and so that customer meetings, presentations, all that kind of stuff. I, I never want to travel for that. But events to me are worth it. Um, I gel f- uh, Disrupt, for example, that's actually the last event I went to the, the February uh, 2021 in uh, Nashville, I think? Yeah, or no, Memphis Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. That was, my, that was my last event uh, before, before COVID. Um, and um, I, I feel like events are going to come back um, and are going to be popular because it's the chance, like it's, it's a high multiplier of value from the effort of cost and flying and like getting there for two, three days, you know, you see so many people, you interact, all that sort of thing.
0: I, I would suggest yeah. that even when we go back to a physical event, we probably live in a world where it's a hybrid, right? You have the option. Of of tuning into it as an event person that you know has to think about this in my mind that's the option right you're you're going to expand your audience we're doing a disrupt next week we'll have more people than we could ever have imagined right we're going to be approaching four five thousand people uh, registered for this event this is you know way more than we could have ever imagined uh, as a physical event so the reach is way higher the 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 historical artifacts are are there immediately. So yeah, I agree with you. This is the uh, the future. But I guess yeah, I also, every event uh, should be a I, hybrid I would, event. I would say I want to give you a hug, Brian. Right? I miss the physical piece of it. I miss the beer, the conversations that happen uh, where you learn about people. You know, outside of uh, you know the four corners of a Zoom square. Right? The the human uh, component. This. Yeah, is and important. I
1: think that I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I believe. In my world, every event needs to be a hybrid event. And I would like, especially we've been, you know, the other sort of, um, obviously one of the major cultural stories, at least in the US of 2020 was uh, the new focus on, um, you know, diversity and, um, and inclusion uh, and exclusion and, and different barriers that different communities uh, face. And I think we have to get, if it's me, I want every event, in, if it's a vendor event, make it free online, um, make it free because there's some young kid, like there's some version of me who like, why should we exclude that? And I'm fine, you know, the people that want to go in person, they pay for it. And, you know, maybe some of them are gonna be like, well, why should I pay for this event to go in person when I can just stay home and watch it online for free? And it's like, if you don't want to go in person and pay, then don't pay. If you want to go in person, support the event, hug your friends, you know, talk to the people more, you know, uh, in person, but everyone else should have the opportunity. Um, you know, VMworld, we saw we had like 100,000 attendees at VMworld this year.
0: That's amazing. The in
1: person VMworlds are only 20,000.
0: 20,000, yeah. So that's crazy. five episodes. And
1: why was that? Obviously, number one, you don't have to leave your house. And number two, it was free. Yeah. And it's great because now VMworld has like, you know, 900 breakout sessions. That's cool. I want to see two. I'm not paying $2,000 for a virtual ticket to watch two hours of video. But if there's two sessions I want to watch, you can watch them, you can watch them later because they're on YouTube or, or, you know,
0: Yeah, when I um, think this technology is going to get better too, right? It's all, we're in the sort of very 1.0 version of Zoom or whatever, right? We're going to well, start to see improvements here.
1: Exactly. And the analogy that I use with folks is um, look at, look at television when it was first invented. Okay, so in the late 20s, early 30s, television comes out. You, you know, they had to invent, uh, the British had to invent television cameras and television sets and, like, radio transmit. They have to invent the whole system, right? And then they get it all. They get a television set in the house, and they're like, okay. Wait, what do we put on this TV? Uh, oops. So they didn't know what, There had no content. So they just, like, point to the TV cameras at the radio actors. You know, like the... You know, trouble lurks in the shadows, and like the guy doing like the thunder with this thing and a little clapping. They pointed him at that. It's sure right. it's interesting, but it's not a TV show um, because they didn't know what to do. It's the same thing happened with Netflix. When Netflix first came out, every show was 22 minutes, you know, boom, 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 boom. And it took time to understand the differences of that new medium. Um, you know, Benedict Evans very famously talks about how. You know, in the development of any technology, there's two phases. The first phase is figuring out what that technology looks like, and then the second phase is figuring out the impact on society of what happens once that technology has matured. Mm-hmm. So, cars. The first 50 years of cars was what does a car look like? How does it operate? The next 50 years of cars was now that everyone has a car, what's that mean for society? Superhighways, suburbs, urban sprawl, you know, inner cities, um, like. Chili's, uh, Best Buy, and Marriott, Marriott's. Marriott, I mean, all of these things, right? Airplanes. First 50 years is figuring out we got from the Wright Brothers to a Bowen 707 in 50 years. The next 50 years was what happens when air travel is cheap and everyone can fly everywhere. Um, cell phones, right? It took telephones. We took 50 years to get a glass rectangle. And now it's the next 50 years is what happens when everyone has a phone. Oh my gosh, we disrupted the taxi cab industries. We disrupted grocery stores. We disrupted everything. So the thing is, is that All of these tools we're using right now, even as we're connecting via Zoom and these kinds of things, we're trying to replicate the in-person office experience. And that is not the right model. I don't know what the right model is, but I know it's not this. Um, And we're seeing, like, look at the rapid iteration of Zoom and Microsoft with Teams. Look at all of these new um, uh, collaboration, like Around, Aha, mm Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all real tools, but all these ones that everyone's just trying to experiment its very, very fascinating. It's like the early days of the automobile where like some of them had a steering wheel on the left, some had a right, some had a hand accelerator, some was the pedal, some steered with a stick, you know, like it's all just crazy town right now right, right, in all well, of these kinds of tools. I mean, tools. the good
0: news is we have the bandwidth, we have the screens, we have the technology, and I think we have the intellect. I mean, that's the part that gives me great hope is that, you know, and, and we also have so many people that have, uh you know had to go live this way that it just it becomes a an addressable market that's uh ripe for disruption and, and innovation.
1: And the thing that's going to change also is so we have to separate working from anywhere and pandemic. The pandemic caused us to have to go like working from anywhere, but when the pandemic will end, whether it's this year in 5 years, it will end at some point. Um, and um and then but now the cat's out of the, wait, smoke's out of the, oh, I don't know, whatever. Now, now we've seen this remote world, it's gonna have remote and working and hybrid and everything, and we're gonna work on that. But all of this, like, see, my point is, a lot of people talk about Zoom is like with despair, like, oh, like Zoom is not personal, and I don't like it, and it's, I'm, 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 I'm drowning in my own loneliness, which we all, I mean, many of us, like me, yes, too. Like, I'm not, I'm not making light of that, but I'm saying that like, like Zoom is not our, the cause, of Our sadness right now, like the pandemic is a cause. Like I haven't hugged in our human since October, right? Uh, like that's not a, that's, that's a not healthy, literally true statement. Um, and so, um, uh, so I, I was single going into the pandemic, right? So, like, uh, that's had I known, uh, maybe I would have made other life choices, but like, so, 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 so the despair, uh, if I want to, I'm gonna call it that, but. You know, the the challenges of my life are going to go away uh, when the pandemic sort of ends. Mm-hmm. My point is, is that um, people say, oh, you need the human interaction from work. And that's where I, I pause and I say, well, we all need the human interaction. I don't know that it has to be from work. Right. Right. Like, I want to, because you can't pick your coworkers. You can pick your you pick your friends, you pick your loved ones, you can sort of pick your neighbors, you can pick what social groups you hang out with and what hobby groups. I feel like that is where we're gonna have this interaction. For me personally, I traveled all the time. That meant I couldn't do things. I couldn't sign up for any kind of classes, you know, improv groups, because I'm just never, I'm on the road. I, I, can't, I can't take an improv class because there's not eight Monday nights in a row that I'm home.
0: Yeah, so and so now I, I, can I have sort of, to ask you that question, like what are you doing to cope with the pandemic? have you uh taken up any new hobbies or
1: um you finished netflix you, no i'm not super yeah i mean i i've 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 got a peloton um and uh so i'm like working out you know indoors um and uh actually you're a triathlon guy i signed up for i signed up for a chattanooga iron man in uh, september um so we'll see if that, i just watched
0: uh, the uh, ceo of iron man give a a speech and it was very like nebulous as to whether you I know, was just going to
1: say it was the perfect speech of someone who talked for four minutes and said nothing. Exactly. You watched um, the same thing.
0: It, I watched it. I thought, yeah, was,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He just was like, well, we understand. It, it was crazy. Anyway, yeah, my we'll son uh, and,
0: has a football coach. They've been practicing since August. There may be a season. There may not be a season. There may be a season. It's sort of. Yeah. And same. it's, you
1: know, be, be, because I traveled so much, all of the hobbies that I enjoyed pre-COVID were ones that I could do either from anywhere or there are ones that I could do on my own time. So, you know, um, I do a lot of like home repair type stuff. I got lots of home projects. Um, I mean, gosh, building a studio was one of my, was one of my um, pandemic projects. Cause I'm like, if I'm gonna be home and not traveling, let's get like real lights, real camera, real bandwidth. And let's figure out how to do this like the real way and not um, like a blurry kind of webcam, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the stuff. I mean, I've got pinball machines. I enjoy building, thinking about, designing pinball. Um, you know, I like play music. Uh, I've I, I do enjoy kind of being on stage for personal reasons, like doing stand-up comedy and improv and that kind of stuff. My stand-up routine actually was all about like work travel um, and the foibles around traveling and everything. So like, I need all new material now. So where can <laughs> so we uh,
0: where can we find your stand-up routine? Is it anywhere out on the internet?
1: no it's not um and uh i i mean i've got a few audio recordings from like when i'm on stage and it's kind of hitting hitting uh you know record and putting the phone in my pocket um i'm i'm out on the internet in my personal in my work life all that i need right so like me like i don't want to be a stand-up comic uh i don't like i want to i go to open mic nights with my friends and get on stage for four minutes and do my little sets like it's that kind of stuff right, right. Because. If I, it, it, again it's going back to the, like you know the the humble fisherman. I mean like I um, I don't want to be like, "Oh, you should work on this. You should work on this. Now this, now trying to get a bigger." I'm like, "Oh, this is turning to work." Right. Like I'm just some dude telling jokes. You're just uh, that's fun. my that's yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Brian, I mean it's been super fun to have you on this show. I know that there's a huge you know community that follows you that will watch this and loves you. And uh, obviously hopefully there's some younger generation coming up, uh, I'd love for you to kind of give your parting words of advice to kind of the, uh, the younger generation, right, that uh, is trying to make their way into the uh, into the world of technology.
1: You know, the, 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 the life advice I have now is um, take it out of technology, even like you be you. Um, mm-hmm. everyone, to, everyone who gets older tells younger people that I'm going to just hop onto it again, like, do what you want to do and, and damn the torpedoes. And so, if it's a younger person and you want to, like, whether it's how you get your name out there, whether it's the technology you're looking at, whether it's your interests or hobbies, uh, all that sort of stuff, um, do what you think you would enjoy and other people will do it too. That's advice for giving a speech, like give the speech that you would want to listen to as an audience member. Write the blog post you would want to read as as a blog post, you know, create, uh, contribute to the world uh, what you would want to get out of the world. Mm-hmm. and. Um, and, you know, and just just give it a shot. You know, we talked about imposter syndrome and everyone's I, I had imposter syndrome like hardcore when I wrote my first book. I'm like, I am in no way like qualified to write a book, but, you know, I just figured out. And um, well, I think yeah, that is think, that is
0: part of the ethos that we try to channel. Even at iGel, right? We have this idea of believe. It really is like, hey, you can figure out how to do anything in this world. Right. Um, stand on the shoulders of others read a lot, research a lot. The internet's an amazing thing. You can be in your car and ask Siri anything and, you know, they, they start to give you some of the answers. So yeah, I think this is part of the, uh, the foundation of, uh, of, you know, doing anything great, right. Is to believe that you can do that and have the imagination and the willpower to believe. Yeah. It's,
1: don't, it's- don't be needy to, to get the, um, acceptance of others, right? If someone else doesn't like what you're doing, Who cares right if you do you like what you're doing go for it. as long as what you do is not like hurting anyone or like causing damage in the world go nuts you be you.
0: Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, giving us uh, being so generous with your time I obviously uh, look forward to a a moment when we're uh, able to share a beer together and uh, give you a hug. Uh, But until then, you know, thank you very much and we'll have to continue to watch your blogs and look for your uh, different uh, ways that you're out there on the Internet looks like you have you do have a great studio you're coming through very crisp uh, so <laughs> thank you good job um, on that um, yeah so th- well, th- thank you always a uh, a fun roller coaster and one thing I do love about you Brian is that you're authentic and uh, so thank you so much and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you out somewhere in this world
1: yeah awesome Jed I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and uh, good to see you virtually and I look forward to that hug
0: and for all our listeners thank you for stopping by the attic. We're really excited about some of the upcoming guests such as Tim Minahan, the CMO of Citrix, David Smith, the CEO of Teradici, and of course the industry godfather and IGEL's new executive chairman, Bill Vechte. And there's a host of other influential leaders specifically within EUC and in tech in general. Lots of interesting perspectives coming soon on this video podcast. So please subscribe to the IGEL YouTube channel down below, and you'll get all the alerts about when the next episodes will drop. And until we meet again, this is Jed Ayers wishing you a great day. Be kind to each other and be well.